right, well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church today. My name's Nathan. I'm happy to see you here. Um, big day for us today. We're going to, um, I'm going to preach. I'm going to share a word that I hope will be uh, challenging and hopeful. And, um, and then we're also going to gather as our church community for our annual meeting. So we're going to kind of do both and together at the same time. It'll, we'll grind the gears a little bit and we'll shift it um, in, in uh, sort of the middle of our gathering. But the hope is that, see, we, we gather every week. Most of us gather every week, but um, it's hard to get kind of a 40,000-foot vantage point of what's really happening in the church. So it's helpful and it's important to, to kind of communicate some of the big themes that are happening in our community um, once a year. So that's what we'll do today, and I'm hoping and praying that it will be encouraging and challenging for you. So let's see, you guys have something, notes. Raise your hand if you like a notes page if you haven't received one because... I put the entire text for today's message on the notes page, so we won't hand out Bibles, but we'll hand out um, notes pages. Also, if you're on an aisle and there's a basket underneath your seat, would you pass it down? And if you're new today or like to hand off your contact information, you can stick that. Uh, you can fill out a card and then put it back in the basket later in the morning, and we'll collect, we'll collect your information then. All right. Good. Well, um, let's see. Nope. I may need your help back there, Ryan. This is a. <laughs> go to the next one, please. Yeah, go to the title slide for me. Check this nine times out of ten, and the times we don't check it, it there we go. All right, so here's what I want to do today. I want to share with you um, a brief thought about a hard place and a good place. Brief thought about a hard place and a good place. Uh, and what's surprising is that the hard place and the good place are the same place. Uh, they're, they're the same place. Uh, it's a hard place and uh, it's a good place. Most people see it as a hard place because on the surface it looks hard and, and, it, and on the surface it, it appears to be a difficult place to be. When you're there, it feels really hard. Uh, you want to get out of there. That's how hard it feels. And when somebody that you love is in this hard place, you can't wait for them to get out of this place. You're desperate for them to get out of this place. You pray that they will get out of this place soon. You worry about them when they're in this place because it's a dangerous place and when you're in it, you're vulnerable. And so you're concerned for those you love when they're in this place. You see the toll that it takes on them. You can recognize the effects in their face. Their attitude sometimes changes. Their facial expressions change. Their stress that affects them on all kinds of levels, even their closest relationships. And you can see it. You can just see it. Um, most of us try to avoid this place at all costs. You're blessed if you don't go there. That's, that's kind of the way we feel about this place most of the time. But sometimes, sometimes if you have relationships that are really honest, and if you have relationships that are really courageous, uh, occasionally you'll have a conversation with somebody who has been to this place, but they talk about this place differently. They talk about this place uh, in a way that makes you think that they see it almost as a good place, uh, as a powerful place as a life-changing place, not as an easy place, but as C.S. Lewis called it, a thin place, a place where God feels close. 
It's a place that plays a common and prominent role in Scripture. It's referred to as eremos. That's the Greek, eremos. In English, it's translated desert or wilderness. Desert is literally accurate, but it can miss the point because it's not about being in a sandy place. It's not about being in a hot place. It's about being in a deserted place. It's about being in a long and lonely place. It's about being in a vulnerable place, a threatening place, or even just a tired, monotonous, this is taking longer than we thought it would place. It's the wilderness. Wildernesses are not tamed. Wildernesses are not domesticated. They don't fit neatly with our formulas. They don't fit under cute little calendars. Uh, They don't play well with easy answers. Lots of the rules that apply to lots of places that we live in don't apply to the wilderness. The wilderness is, by definition, outside of those kinds of easy-to-predict rules and expectations. Now, what we can tend to think... Just in general, we can tend to think that the situations in our life or the places that we experience life are either good or bad. This is a good place or this is a bad place. These are good times or, or these are bad times. And we've been steeped just so deeply in this dualistic Greek way of thinking. It is either or. It is good or it's bad. But that is a perspective that the scripture confronts consistently. Scripture is always confronting this hard, black and white, either or kind of perspective. Here's one really familiar example of where Scripture does this. It print, I printed it in your notes. It's, the, it's called the 23rd Psalm. It's a prayer or a song that is written by King David hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And I'm going to read it to you. This is how it goes. It's on the screen as well. David prays, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear No evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the most Uh, One of the most important things about this prayer, and one of the things about this prayer that I have come to appreciate the most, is that the prayer is written in the present tense. It is written in the present tense. David does not, he prays prayers about his past. This is not one of them. He prays prayers about his future. This is not one of them. He is praying this prayer in the moment. This is a present tense prayer. If you notice all the verbs, except the very last, are the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. As I walk through the valley, you are with me. Present tense, here and now. David is praying about a present tense experience. This is so important for us to see. 
All except the final verse, which looks to a hopeful future, is a prayer about the present tense struggle. Right here, right now. So here's my question. Here's my question. If you could sit down with King David right now, and you could ask him this question, I think it'd be fantastic to hear his response. How, David, would you characterize that 23rd Psalm season of your life? Right? He wrote it hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago for us. What if we could sit down with him today and ask him, do you remember praying that prayer, David? Do you remember when you prayed Psalm 23? What do you think he'd say? Do you think he'd say, oh my gosh, I totally remember that. That was, I was in the valley of the shadow of death. It was the darkest time of my life. Those were dark days. Dark, dark, hard days. Or do you think he'd say, oh, I totally remember that. God was with me. God was with me all of the time. He was basically setting tables before me. The provision of God in that season, that 23rd Psalm season of my life, was unbelievable provision. Do you think he'd say, oh my, yeah, that was, that's my enemies are everywhere, evil, totally overwhelming, surrounding me, evil surrounding me? Or do you think he'd say, yeah, I remember that, that's when I felt no fear. That's when I felt like I was literally anointed by God, like God was dumping oil on my head. Because the reality is, in, in the psalm, he testifies to both. At the same time. That's the reality. He testifies to both at the same time. No, don't you mean like after he gets through the valley of the shadow of death, then he experiences? No. It's in the valley of the shadow of death where he experiences the presence of God. Don't you mean like the provision comes after all that hard stuff with his enemies and all the... No. It's during the persecution that he experiences the powerful provision of God. David is in the wilderness, it is a difficult place, and it is a wonder-filled place. It is truly hard, and it is truly good, and we have a hard time with that. We think, no, no, it's got to be either or, but for David, no, it's not. It's it is actually difficult, he's not pretending. And it is actually good. It's both and. The wilderness is where there are trials, but we grow through the trials. And we grow through the trials in ways that we would not grow if we were not in those trials. And the wilderness is a place where we encounter incredible pain. Uh, but we encounter God in the midst of that pain in ways that we could not encounter God except for that pain. I want to invite somebody to join me on the platform uh, just for a few minutes who is a strong and courageous companion to me in a season of wilderness. He's someone who I deeply respect as a man of God, Isaiah Oates. Would you join me up here, son? So, a little background. In 2007, whoops, sorry. Um, when Isaiah was four years old, he was diagnosed with ALL, which is a type of leukemia. It's a cancer of the blood. And that began a very intense season for us. The first few days were critical. Um, and then the following three years were intense. For 1,155 days, 
uh, Isaiah had chemotherapy treatments. They included several, probably half a dozen extended hospital stays. Every six weeks, he'd, receive, he'd have a spinal tap, receive intrathecal mexotrexate. They'd wash his brain with something horrible that uh, was going to help. Ten broken vertebrae. Um, all kinds of scary, horrible, very bad things. Um, at least that's what was on the surface. And, uh, but that wasn't the whole story. So uh, I'm going to ask Isaiah just to share some, rem- some memories with us, if you would, bud. Uh, so this is the first day. This is when you checked into the hospital. You were four years old. Isaiah is now 13, so that's a long way to remember back. What do you, what do you remember about that? I was sick. <laughs> yes, you were sick. This was a couple days later. I don't know if you can see it, but um, across, he's received a, a, a port, a, like a, they inserted a surgical, um, like a, what is that? It's a port. It's a line. Yeah, gosh, I don't know. It was there for three years. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it, it, ac- it was a way to access his blood and to give him medicine and stuff like that. What do you remember about that? Oh, yeah? Yeah, I remember that was one of the hardest points for us was because um, you were awake and upset, and then they had to take you away into this room to do the surgery, and you were screaming, and we couldn't do anything about it. You know, it was intense. Uh, you were so confused about what was happening, you know, and we were pretty confused, I think, as well, and, and just totally devastated. Carmen didn't want me to put this in here, but this was... Um, so Benadryl was a good help for like 999 out of 1,000 kids, but not for Isaiah. So when he had Benadryl, he blew up like a balloon, and it took us a few times to figure that out. Um, do you remember? Uh, Benadryl is bad. Right. Yeah. Now, it must have been something else. We'll do a little test, right? We'll do a test. And a test. Okay, so one of, the, one of the things that we went through was um, your hair started to fall out. What do you remember about this? Yeah, and some other guys, I see Sal Ochoa is here today, he shaved his head with us, Steve Henning shaved his head with us, several of you guys shaved your heads with us, yeah, yeah, that was a, a, a good moment of uh, encouragement, right? So there were a lot of hard scenes, but we also had some fun, yeah. <laughs> this is a great picture of Isaiah laughing. Just, uh, he had this fantastic attitude throughout it. In some ways, I was grateful that he was so young. Uh, it made, things, made some things harder, but it also, um, he was able to enjoy the moment, which is what adults lose. Uh, when we go through hard times, it's harder for us to be
be present in the moment because we're always thinking about that thing that happened in the past or worrying about the future. And we miss all these great moments even in the midst of really legitimate pain. Um, but uh, it was a beautiful thing, and it actually was helpful to Carmen and me to see Isaiah just be able to enjoy so much of his life, even when we were just like, oh my gosh, you know, here's the few minutes of the day where we're not having to give him some drug, um, but he seems to be able to have a good time with it. All right, tell us about this. So how often would we do this? I think it was once a week for a while. Yeah, yeah. for once three years. Yeah, once a week for three years. It was a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're back. To, we're, we're down to a year because 2015 was five years post-chemotherapy for Isaiah. So now we only have to do this once a year, uh, which is amazing because for a long time it was a big part of our life where they'd uh, access his port and put good stuff in and bad stuff out or vice versa. Yeah, good. And <laughs> you were kind of goofy about it. Um, this was not, though, always easy, right? You could taste this, which was sort of strange. And I could taste that originally with the bio packs. Yeah, yeah, weird, yeah. And some of the other kids in our community, like uh, Kyler and Emma Kate, had experiences like this where they had to have a line accessed, and it, it was uh, really painful at times. So, so what's going on here? this day. This was actually your final day of chemo. Final day of chemo. Yep, day uh, 1155. Yeah, good, good. All right, so Isaiah, a couple questions. Um, tell us a couple ways in which this was a difficult season for, your li for you in your life. Go ahead and say a few, guys. Yeah. Anything else that was hard? Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the good stuff. Tell us what, what do you remember when you look back on that? You remember some good things. I was strongly supported by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, my family, we have uh, a friend, she was a teacher. 
and um, her class raised a lot of money and I got to go to Disneyland with that and so mm -hmm. that was fun. Mm -hmm. um, I grew, I grew a lot. I got physically tougher, I got mentally tougher. Mm -hmm. um, I grew closer to God through that. I realized that I needed his help. I needed a lot of other people's help. Um, so that was a good, good thing. Yeah, good. A uh, couple, maybe a couple months ago, we were talking about it, and we were saying, "Man, I wonder if that just had never happened, what would, what would that, have, how that would have changed our life?" And you said something that was sort of surprising to me. Yeah, I wouldn't change what happened because I, I grew in that. It made me stronger. It made me who I am, and um, I grew closer to God. And so that was the main season of my life, and it, uh, I grew stronger, and I, I want to be stronger. So. Good. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Good job. People ask me one of the most common questions that I'm asked as I go around uh, town and in life is, how's Emmaus? Uh, which is a real simple question that opens up a whole broad variety of possible answers. Right? Um, it's like a family. There's great stuff happening all the time. There's hard stuff happening all the time. Um, th there's a sense in which this, feels, uh, this season at Emmaus feels a bit like a wilderness to me. Uh, there are really acute dramatic, intense, painful wildernesses that some of you are in. Uh, there are, there are um, wildernesses of disappointment that some of you are in. Um, and, and this is not to compare to those necessarily, but I feel like as a community in general, we're in this sort of long waiting kind of wilderness. Uh, there are some really tough realities that we're facing. There's also a lot of really good realities, and they're happening at the same time. They're both and. When we started Emmaus, 2005, I had a really clear five-year plan. Uh, just really specific and clear. And I remember exactly where I was running in the American River Canyon with a buddy when he asked me, so, what's next? <laughs> and for the first time in a long time, I didn't know what was next. I, I just didn't know what we were going to do after that. And it was after that already. And it's still, it, it is, it's still after that. Since that day, I think we've had some really good days. We've had some really hard days. Sometimes those have been the same days, and I've continued to ask God for the next step and for direction for the next step. I remain really committed and really excited to building a transformational community of compassion here at Emmaus. I believe in who we are. I believe in what we're doing. <coughs> Excuse me. We're strong, and we're doing some really, really good things, which we're going to share with you in a few minutes. And I'm looking forward to what's next, and I'm looking for clarity for what's next. There are some great things on the horizon and, and the details just haven't materialized as well as we hoped at this point. Uh, it feels like we're in a bit of a, a wilderness, kind of a wild place or a, a challenging place, maybe a long and lonely place. It's a good place because it's a place where we're growing into the church that we need to be to faithfully steward what we're given uh, as we move forward. Um, we've tried several times to make moves towards uh, land or a building. We still are aggressively working towards that. Um, these are ways that we're being tried and ways that we're growing in the trial. That's what we want to focus on for the next few minutes. So I just want to share with you, several will share, we'll take a few minutes together this morning to share some of the trials that we're experiencing and some of the blessings that we're experiencing in the midst of it. All right, so I'll invite Nick to come up here and pray for us as we begin this part of the gathering. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we begin this meeting, we 
acknowledge that you are our God. We seek you and our souls, they thirst for you. We ask that you would help us be keenly aware of your presence in this place and in this church. That we would be so in tune with your spirit that we would not be allowed to be the same people. That you would make us different people, better people. God, be here and help us know that you're here. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, would like to begin um, first by saying thank you. Any of you who served as volunteers in this community, whether in official roles, like you're on a team, or just by bringing meals to people who are hurting or after they've had a baby, I just want to say thank you. There, this, we are a collection of, of volunteers. Our, our movement, our, our um, community is a community of volunteers. <clears throat> we have a few on staff to create some organizational leadership. But the strength of this church is the strength of our volunteers. And so if you served this year, in 2015 is what I mean, last year, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for the early mornings and the late nights and the extra effort in the midst of all the stuff that you're doing to serve the church. We're super thankful for it. Specifically, I want to thank a couple of people whose seasons, specific roles are, are wrapping up. Uh, Levi Oates and Bridget Farron and Jan McPherson just finished two-year terms on our leadership board. So Levi, Bridget, Jan, thank you for your strong behind-the-scenes service on the board. Yeah, go ahead and say thanks to them. <clears throat> and then we also had a transition from our staff team after three years of great, solid leadership as our worship director, Stephanie Van Tassel. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah. Yeah, largely because of a, an increase in responsibility in her day job, which is uh, Agape International Mission, and then also to create some more space to do more teaching here at our church. Stephanie is stepping away from the leadership role of our, our worship team, but uh, uh, thankfully still will be participating in that as well. All right, go ahead, Sandy. Why don't you take us to the next step? Good morning, everyone. I also want to say thank you so much to all of you that volunteer. It truly helps make everything that we do at Emmaus possible, um, that people feel cared for and served, uh, especially in their, their deep time of need. So uh, we're excited to report that, um, and you're doing slides for me, oh, right? Oh, thanks. Sorry. Yeah, thanks. <coughs> we have... <laughs> you're not done. No. I gotcha. 138 from our community, we've counted recently, um, are on volunteer teams. So that yes. is amazing. We're yep. super grateful for that. Yeah. That's setup teams, food team, uh, soul care, uh, so many other things I could mention. But um, we're just grateful for that. And I've had a few people tell me that um, it wasn't until they were on a serve team that they truly felt like they were part of a family mm -hmm. in our church. And so I, we just really encourage that. If, if, there, um, if you haven't yet had a chance to serve, you know, I really encourage you to do that. Um, and we'll tell you about some needs in a minute. So also we wanted to tell you that 60 people served at 10 different locations at our last workday. So every year we do a workday for our single parents um, in the Lincoln area, actually out in Placer County, basically. And um, we just serve them in whatever it is they need for their yard, for their house. And um, we were super excited that 60 people got involved this last year. That's awesome. And then 
Of course, we'll let you know this next May, or it's coming up in a couple months, about our next work day and how you can get involved with that. Great. All right, and then Strengths Finder. It's a book that we've talked a lot about here at Emmaus that has been really effective in helping people discover and develop their strengths. And what I love about that is it celebrates like what we do well. Mm -hmm. And then it says, really pour your time and effort into what you do well in the way that you relate to your family and friends and in your workplace and how you serve. And so it's been a really good tool for us to use to help people in those areas, but then also that they can really find a good fit here at Emmaus to serve. So I believe I counted 66 people in our community that have already taken that test and um, are getting some training on their top five strengths and how they can use that in their life and here at Emmaus. So there's training available. If that's something you would like to do, I would love to help you with that process. So let me know about that. Okay, and then we still have some needs in volunteer areas. So if it's time for you to serve, here's some things to think about. We need people in our media area back there. Um, Rich can probably tell you a little bit more information about that. You can also let me know if you'd be interested in that or sign up at the information table. There's also Kids Ministry, our Emmaus Kids. It's our biggest volunteer team. And um, we're always needing more people for that team because people need breaks from time to time and there's different schedules and seasons of life. So, um, so that's there. And then also Ignite, our middle school ministry. And then our ushers and greeters, we could also use some support there. So let me know if you're interested in serving in one of those areas or any of the areas that we have. Like I said, we're always needing more people on teams. So, all right. That's it. Thank you. Thanks. Um, I should introduce folks in case you're just not aware. Uh, Nick Zerwas is the secretary of our board currently, and Sandy's on staff full-time as our community pastor. If you have any, um, any compassion-type needs, volunteer-type needs, um, any relationship-type needs, Sandy's kind of the first. Other than the home groups, then Sandy's the, Sandy oversees that. And then Rich is on our staff as well as our executive director, so he handles all the business side of the church, um, much of the organizational side and the communication internally. So, good. All right. Thanks, well, Rich. Uh, hello. And uh, I have the privilege of sharing with you guys a little bit, just like kind of a state of the union uh, in regard to our shared resources, otherwise known as our finances. Um, and except hopefully this state of the union is going to be a little more encouraging than, than the other ones that we <laughs> have the privilege of watching. Um, and so at any rate, this, uh, this is our budgeted income. Um, and expenses. Every year uh, our board um, sets the budget in the fall for the next year. So this was the budget that our board set in the fall of 2014 for all of 2015. This is both how much income we project to, uh, to receive based off of like projections and you know how, how are things going as well as um, our expenses. Um, so this is pretty amazing. Uh, let's go to the next slide there. We received that exact amount plus $150. Amen. So if you figure out the variance on that, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so good job, board. So at any rate, uh, and then if we go to the next one here, this is, um, we, we actually didn't qu spend quite as much as we had anticipated, so we ended the year only $2,705 uh, ahead 
of our income. So it's a, it's a so the state of the union is pretty good, uh, in other words. Um, so, but this uh, this was a kind of interesting fact that uh, as we we uh, looked and said, how much have we given away as a whole community? Um, and some of these things include uh, like single parents, uh, some church planting efforts that we uh, helped to participate in, benevolence, uh, the Axiom, which is the youth center uh, here in Lincoln. But we gave away as a as a whole. $107,000, almost 108, yeah. yeah. And so that's a pretty, pretty encouraging number. So uh, thank you guys so much for your generosity. Um, it makes a difference. Obviously, it makes a difference. And so uh, I'm, I'm privileged to serve with you guys and uh, to, to share our resources to help others. Thanks. Amen. Thanks, Rich. Great job. Thank you. <coughs> Let me bring just a kind of a pastoral comment to the finances. We, we're starting in this last couple of years, we've started to measure more than just attendance and finances. Those are the classic things that churches measure because they're the easiest things to count. So we're, we're starting to count volunteers and the amount of people in home groups. In January, we had more people in home groups than we've ever had. So that's a sign of health. A lot of volunteers, as Sandy shared, uh, that's a sign of health. It's interesting to review where we were even just four years ago in, in this uh, just this sort of view of the finances. Uh, four years ago, $292,000 was given, were given. Um, 120 people or families giving units gave that 192,000. Now the top 20 individuals gave 60% of that amount. Um, so just an interesting breakdown. Four years later, the end of 2015, our giving has increased by more than 100,000. The number of givers has gone down just a little bit by three. The top 20 givers have given less in terms of percentage, 53%. It's still a lot for the top 20 to be giving, but it's less than it was, which is a good thing. In other words, there are more people who are giving more money. Uh, the average giver has increased, boy, that flipped. The average giver has increased in their giving. That's the bottom line. Now, uh, I. I'd really like to just invite this, um, this, invite you to engage in this part of our community from a perspective that's not purely financial. Uh, I, I, want, I want to encourage you to engage in financial support of your church community as a spiritual discipline. One of the trends, we could do a whole meeting on this and f nobody would come, um, but one of the trends that is, is uh, frankly, it's kind of disheartening to see, uh, I sign all the, all the statements at the end of the year, it's a legal thing, um, and and there are many of you who give like a clock. Doesn't really matter how much. What's, what's impressive from a spiritual standpoint, the amount is also important. I don't mean to say that it's not. But when you see consistency, that, that reflects intentionality, purpose, commitment. It reflects this idea that money is being, being viewed as a spiritual resource or is being viewed as a resource spiritually. Most or a lot of us give very sporadically. Um, and that's where I'd love to challenge you to grow this year. Um, to decide on a percentage that you're going to give and to give consistently. I know some of you don't get paid regularly. Some of you have jobs where it's very inconsistent. And so that, but most of us are paid consistently. And so I would love to see us grow um, in our regularity, in our intentionality, in our purposefulness when it comes, because that will reflect a deeper area of growth. That will reflect 
uh, a growth towards submission of our resources to Jesus um, and to, to the support of the local church. All right, thank you for your strong giving this year. It's been fantastic. Um, we're grateful for it. And it's, as you saw, it's enabled us to do some really good things. All right, we're going to wrap up with a couple of really great stories. We want to finish with great stories. As we look back over the year 2015, two stories kind of emerged as we really enjoyed celebrating these things. So I'm looking for Denise. Are you, is she, there you are. Come on up. And uh, the first story is the, uh, the summer camps that we offered in our new space in downtown. So Denise, tell us a little bit about that, please. Good morning. Yes, having the... I'm sorry, Denise, I, just in case, I said I'd do this. This is Denise. She's part-time with us. She directs our family ministries. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so having the space downtown, um, we knew it was going to be awesome for providing a youth center, but what it's proven is um, it's allowed us to connect with the community in ways that stretch well beyond um, the Axiom and that youth center. And one prime example of that was the kids camp that we put on um, this past summer of 2015, we were able to do a kids camp summer series, and what that was was eight weeks of entirely free Tuesday night activities that we offer to the Lincoln community as an outreach. Um, we were able to invite elementary school age kids to come in, and at absolutely no cost to the families, they were able to engage in things that they might not otherwise have been able to do. Um, and examples of that are, um, our first one was a cooking. The kids were able to come in and learn how to make strawberry jam. They did a full batch, got to can it, and bring home a jar to take home um, of their own. Our second week, we had a pinewood, pinewood derby car making and racing session. Um, that was over two nights. They got to make and decorate their own cars. Um, we had a ginormous track that you can see on one of the pictures that was made that filled the whole room and they battled it out and then got to take their cars home. Um, our third week, we had cake decorating. The kids learned actual techniques on how to decorate and then got to make and then eat um, two cupcakes of their own. We had a week of ballet where they got to um, learn different techniques and actually practice and do a little performance in the room. And that one was especially meaningful for many of the families because I had quite a few come up and talk about how their kids had been begging to do ballet and the families couldn't part um, afford to sign them up and register them for the traditional ballet classes that are offered through the rec league. And so the fact that they were able to bring them in in their cute little tutus and they could do the ballet class with the other kids was really impactful and meaningful for them. Um, we had a sewing session of three nights where the kids came in and got to learn how to sew and actually made their very own set of pajama shorts um, and then fashion showed them and took them home. Um, we had a awesome painting with paper where they got to learn techniques on how to work with paper and then actually created a full framed piece of artwork for them to take home and hang on the wall. We had an intro to music, which was really fun. A local art, um, excuse me, music teacher came in from one of our schools and taught the kids an intro to music, presented them with their own recorders and care kits and taught them how to play a song that they performed by the end of the session. And then finally we had a tennis week where at the local tennis courts, kids were um, taught the basics um, and then were able to work all the way up through playing kind of sort of what looked like tennis <laughs> on um, the courts by the end of that session. And that was another one that I had quite a few families come up and talk about how they'd really wanted to let their kids try it out and um, start 
some tennis lessons, but they couldn't afford to do it, especially just testing the waters. And so they really appreciated that we were offering these things to them at no cost. Um, to execute this eight-week series, it took um, a team of volunteers to step up and help us out. And so over the course of those eight weeks, we had eight leads that signed up to offer one of their fabulous skills um, to be shared with the kids. And then they had a team of youth and adult that would help them out and support them each week. Um, and because of all of that work that they did, we had 39 families, most of whom had no prior connection to Emmaus at all, that participated over those eight weeks and were able to engage in the activities. Um, and if you're listening to this thinking, man, that sounds so cool and you feel like you missed out on something awesome, I have really good news. Um, we are going to be doing another round of the Kids Camp Summer Series this summer. Um, we're going to be accepting signups for people that have some fabulous secret talent that they would like to share. Um, and if you're a little leery about leading, but you would like to come in and participate, we have room for that as well. So see me after the gathering or send me an email, um, text, and we can connect. And we're starting right now to um, set up the schedule for this coming summer so that we can do it again. Great. Thanks, Denise. Appreciate it. Good job. All right. And a final fantastic story from the year is we started a youth center downtown with Carlos Campis. Carlos is full-time, not an employee of the church, but our church backs the Axiom, and uh, he is actually full-time with the Axiom. Tell us about it. How's it going? Good. <clears throat> um, I've pulled up some numbers to share with you guys because it seemed like a numbers day. Rich is really cool with numbers. I want to be like Rich when I grow up. So <laughs> <coughs> first of all, let's start with our average amount of kids that we get on the daily. We have 47 kids coming in daily. Wow, that's great. That's, that's a pretty big group to yeah. be coming consistently. Yeah. We have our core group of kids who I classify core group by kids who come three days or more, and that's at 32 kids. Hmm. Our average Friday attendance is 74 kids. That's and awesome. that's because we feed them <laughs> a full meal on Friday. So that means about 1,072 meals since we've been open. Wow. That's a pretty big deal for some of these kids who don't have a place to go after school or want to have a place to hang out, get to know some of our awesome volunteers. So I'm up here just to celebrate with you guys the fact that we've have had over 300 kids walk through the doors. Mm -hmm. And this just opened in August yeah. on my birthday, a week <laughs> after my wedding, and we blink, and these kids know my whole backstory. They know my life. They, <laughs> they know that I'm there, and I'm a sucker, and we'll let them in when they walk there for lunch to play a little bit of video games during their lunch break. <laughs> so this community has gotten a lot bigger. It's not just you guys in this room. It's a kid whose name is Nick, who I got the honor to teach him how to drive, and he got his license. <laughs> you know, that's a big deal. That's great. Um, I had the opportunity to have the same kid, Isaiah, not this awesome one, but another awesome one, who runs to the Axiom every single day because he's trying to beat his record of what time he gets there after school. <laughs> he also hogs the video games when he gets there first. <laughs> <laughs> we have kids who become pool hustlers in our spot because they've just gotten amazing. Um, and we've also had the amazing privilege 
an honor to be the refuge for a kid who said, hey, what's this thing called DACA? Um, I need to get documentation. I need to work on this. I'm, I, want, I want to be here all the time. Um, so we've been able to help a kid with that as well. We're, we're pushing forth with some amazing stories, but the biggest one isn't even known yet. We're still waiting. It's not even a year, and it's going very, very amazing. One thing before I leave, one thing that we do need to work on celebrating next year is the number nine. Nine is the number of our monthly donors right now who give consistently every single month. We're hoping to make that a bigger number. So if you guys could consider giving to the Axiom on a monthly basis, please look us up on our website, theaxiom.org. Get in contact with me. Uh, anybody from staff would be able to give you my home address, home phone, everything. Um, <laughs> and just reach out. Thank you guys so much. And know that this room isn't just our community. We have a ton of kids who come every single day after school that think that you guys are part of their community. So thank Amen. you. Good job. Thanks, Carlos. Great job. All right. So here's what's next. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me about um, our future home. Uh, we're going to make this a, a public issue of prayer this coming year. We're going to pray that God directs us to a place to, to meet that's, um, that's that we can have access to a little bit more consistently. We, this summer, will be our 10th year renting this uh, multi-purpose room. If you would have told me that we'd be here 10 years, if you would have told them we'd be here 10 years, uh, we, I don't know, it wouldn't have worked that way. But um, we're here, we're grateful for it, we love this space, we'd love to move to a place that could handle a few more of the needs that have become more prominent as we've grown as a church. So join me as we pray for that, and then we're going to... Um, take a, we're going to hand out the, the ballots for the leadership selection, and uh, I'll give you some instructions there. Okay, let's pray together. Father, just together for a moment, um, I thank you for this community again. I thank you for the great work, the good stories that are happening, and we ask God that there would be provision for uh, the, these kinds of things and much more. And we pray that in your timing and in your way, you'd lead us to the right place for us to call our home that we could have a building that would be uh, sufficient for ministry seven days a week, uh, that um, families who are looking for all different kinds of services and supports could come to this place, uh, that people could gather during the week for classes and ways to grow, that all of the hours that we're spending setting things up uh, could be limited, uh, restricted a little bit, and more time could be spent discipling and, and meeting with people and growing and, and teaching and learning. Um, somehow it all works together, and we submit it to you and pray that this year you'd lead us to a new home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thanks for hanging in there. We're almost there. Um, this, this comes down to kind of our church polity. Go ahead, guys, hand those out. If you are a member of our church, we, have our, we are a, a nonprofit organization. We are an official church, and um, as a church, we, we select by election uh, uh, some leaders from our membership our membership gathers every Sunday, but we want to specifically gather once a year for the purposes of um, selecting our leadership moving forward. So um, we elect board members from among our membership to two-year terms. You'll see that there's only four nominees on the, um, or candidates on the, on the ballot. 
for three spots. That's awkward, isn't it? Uh, and that's felt super awkward to me in the, in the recent weeks. We invited seven to consider letting their names run. Um, we just had four who were able. I've talked to all of them. They're mature, responsible, God-loving people with a lot of passion and vision for how they want to serve the church. If they are not selected for the specific role of board leadership, it's not going to crush any of them. So I'm aware of the kind of awkwardness. I've shared that with them, and uh, I've been assured. Most of them said, I'll step back. Uh, I don't need to do this. But um, I want to let the process go forward. Um, these are folks who have, are trusted, uh, have demonstrated leadership, are on board in terms of supporting the church, and are available. And so if you would vote for three of the, of the individuals who are on the screen for a two-year term to serve as the leadership board of our church, they are the core counsel to me as the pastor of the church. And then the second thing you're doing is you're just giving a thumbs up or not to up to three of the individuals on the back, Angela, Carlos, or Jan, to serve as delegates to an annual meeting for our network. We meet, we're part of the Nazarene Church, and so once a year, all the Nazarene churches get together and it's a business meeting, and it's inspirational and things like that, but it's primarily moving the, 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 the organization forward. So we're invited to bring our staff and delegates. The delegates need to be voted on uh, by the church. Now, here's the last thing I'll say. If you're a member, that means you signed the leather notebook. You signed the leather journal. You took the membership class, and your name's written in that book. And for voting purposes, um, you need to be 15 years old or older. That's just a, a polity issue set by the Church of the Nazarene. So I'm going to take a break. We're going to take a break. And during that break, if you can uh, go ahead and fill out this ballot, and then we'll collect it with the offering in like four minutes. We'll do a real short passing of the piece and give you a chance to fill this out and just give somebody a hug. Jesus, may you lead us in this, in this decision. Thank you for the folks who are willing to serve in ways that are really challenging, that uh, are involved in some of the harder things that we deal with as a church and um, <clears throat> represent a lot of late nights. I pray for wisdom for us in this process that you would lead us on and direct us forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Sir. Okay, yeah, could uh, just a couple guys come over with Bob, please, and help.